Welcome to the Mystical Motherhood Podcast. This uh, episode is a, a pre-recorded panel I was on, and the moderator who put it together, his name is Heather Grizzik, and she's the an Ayurvedic practitioner and author of the book, The Ayurvedic Guide to Fertility. And she facilitated a group of women, um, of experts in fertility and prenatal birthing and postnatal care to discuss COVID-19 and how it has impacted women as they're moving forward. We talk about how to deepen our self-care, how to create the optimum, optimal envir- environment for fertility, and each of the women that were a part of this um, discussed their personal point of view of how women can handle um, you know, having babies, fertility, and self-care during this crisis that we're going through. So some of these women were, you know, one was a pregnant woman, one is a fertility awareness educator and a po- or host of the Fertility Friday podcast, Ayurvedic practitioners, postpartum care women, acupuncture and Chinese medicine specialists, and postpartum doulas. So there's a lot of women that are on this that are talking um, about specific questions that you all may be very interested in as you're planning for your family in general or just needing more self-care ideas ideas and how to enter into the heart and how to handle the stress that's happening right now. I hope you enjoy. If you like this, please leave a star rating. If you have any questions, reach out to me, Pritam Atma at mysticalmotherhood at gmail.com. If you're in need of a private session, you can get a hold of me at mysticalmotherhood at gmail.com or www.mysticalmotherhood.com. Both of my books, Fertile and um, Mystical Motherhood are available on Amazon and through my website. Enjoy, and I hope you're doing well um, during these times. Thank you to everybody who showed up today to uh, talk about fertility and have a brief conversation today. Um, We're calling this a brave conversation, and I kind of nabbed this term from a friend of mine who's been teaching me how to engage with groups online better because, you know, it's so easy to sit in a room with people and have a conversation and, and it's so difficult to try to create a natural conversation in zoom, isn't it? I hope we could try to make that happen today. But, um, so I actually signed up for a course to figure out how to do that better. So we'll, we'll see how it works. Yeah. Um, so this is, I'm calling I'm having this word brave from her. Uh, and she was reading it from a poem actually. And this idea of showing up to a conversation bravely came up because, you know, what it, what it really meant to me when, when we were discussing this word brave is sort of, I'm sure it even brings up a different thing for each of you here today, but it's a very awakened state to be brave. You know, it's, it kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat in some way, tells you you've got to face whatever is here. And it's, there's some power to it and also some vulnerability because the idea of being brave is, you know, both um, vulnerable and strong, isn't it? Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's where the name of this came from. And the background, what I want to do, tell everybody about, some of you guys have never met each other. And, you know, I, I think it's really cool that I got six other women who've never met each other to show up for 
I think a really super vulnerable conversation about fertility, about giving birth. And this is the whole, you know, as women, it's one of the many opportunities that we have available to us to do our work in the world. Um, if not the most important one that we have available to us, if we choose that path. So, uh, really, amazed and grateful that you've all showed up today. And it started because I, I'm in the process of launching a book. It's called the Ayurvedic guide to fertility and it's going to be out in May. And I started talking to other women in the fertility space and have a lot of friends who are pregnant right now. And uh, Pritam and I actually had a conversation. Uh, we got connected through somebody else and we were, we were having a little bit of creative tension, I felt, when we were talking. And she's like, we should record this. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to record this. That felt really scary to me to, to do that. And so I was like, okay, I've really got to step into this. And I've got to open this up. And let's bring in more people to talk about um, what's happening right now with fertility. There are a lot of women right now who were in the process of trying to become pregnant who want to become pregnant, who are currently pregnant, or who have just given birth, or maybe already did and are thinking about it again, and they're very confused right now. And some of you even, are, you know, the experts that we have here today, some of you may even feel that yourself, including Sasha, who's kind of our unique pregnant woman uh, person here today. So, you know, I'm sure everyone's feeling really different things and we have an opportunity, I think, to enlighten some women, maybe some men too, who want to watch this about what's happening since the pandemic started, since COVID-19 started. What has changed for you in your practice? Okay. So everybody here has a very different role in this pipeline. I look at fertility as like a pipeline of growing beings out of the earth or maybe it's from here i'm not sure which direction it comes <laughs> but it's like we're we're all in different phases of this pipeline and you all come from a very unique vantage point and i know all of you've been affected differently in your work from not being able to meet with people in person to some of you may be even busier because of the nature of the work that you do so i'd like to hear a little bit from everybody here about, uh, just to start, why did you say yes to show up to this conversation? So tell us a little bit about what you do, the work you do in this arena, and why did you show up? Why did you say yes? So I'm going to introduce Pritam first. Uh, Pritam is the, uh, you may, some of you may recognize her. She's the host of the Mystical Motherhood podcast. She's a nurse practitioner in a fertility and reproductive medicine uh, clinic, um, in fertility and reproductive medicine at an IVF clinic. And she's also an author of two books, Mystical Motherhood and Fertile. Uh, so Pritam, I'd love to hear, why did you say yes today? Hi, everyone. It's really nice to see you all. Beautiful. So I'm located right now. I'm in Brooklyn in New York, and I work at an IVF clinic and generally. And so our shutdown was quick and efficient. And as New York has gone, gone into a panic. So my work is both working within the clinic within Western medicine and with embryos and DNA, which I love. But I also have written two books, Mystical Motherhood and Fertile, 
which helps women with the all the different parts of healing that you tend to go through when you become a mother. And so I focus, I really feel like the the, the greatest thing a woman can do is clear herself on the mental, physical, spiritual levels before she conceives so that the epigenetic programming of the DNA and of the embryo is completely different during pregnancy. So I work privately with women globally healing them, or I, I give them a lot of kundalini meditations to do outside of the clinic and in the clinic, which I find really, really helps with pregnancy. But just on a level in New York City, we, I mean, fertility has been you know, deemed necessary. So we are allowed to be open. A lot of clinics are still functioning and we are going to open again in about three weeks, but it's more like we can't get the protective masks here that we need to feel everybody to feel safe and the level. So they shut down very quickly. But I think for the women that are listening to this that are pregnant or being challenged, I actually think it's one of the most valuable times to go inside and do that type of healing work that I'd love to, to, I'm sure everybody can talk about this, that is so important to prepare because, I mean, pregnancy and motherhood and birth brings up some of the deepest and darkest parts of the fears within a woman, I find, a lot of times, and things to be healed within the generational patterns. And I think that's going to happen all over the world. And so I think being brave about it is looking at those kind of patterns and fears that are going to arise within every human, particularly within women that are bringing children down. And I also feel that with the amount of deaths that are occurring, there may be an, a surge within women around the world to have a baby, not even understanding, but that innate wisdom of, okay, they're, like my friend called me today and said, I want to have another baby. Am I absolutely crazy? And and it's all the women that are waiting at home that didn't even know they wanted to have a baby are beginning to think about it because mm-hmm. there's because there's almost like a, a vacuum will need to be filled. And so that's what my work in mystical motherhood is, is to help to fill that vacuum with like really high caliber souls. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. Chelsea Worth is going to uh, be our next panelist and Chelsea is a labor doula and she's also a postpartum infant care doula and a childbirth educator and she's uh located in the bay area san francisco bay area like me Chelsea would you tell us a little bit about why you said yes to this conversation and of, of course hi everyone it's nice to see you all um this is such a great group of people here i'm just in awe of all of you um and it's so nice that everyone took time out of there out of their day to do this. Um, so like Heather said, I'm a labor and postpartum doula. I serve mostly San Francisco and Marin um, with a couple of East Bay clients sprinkled in. Um, I take about two to three births a month. Um, and then I, the rest of my time, I fill with postpartum support. Um, both are near and dear to my heart. The postpartum support is like, oh, it like totally gets me. Um, I just... I have such a, a strong pull towards nurturing women in all states of their fertility, pre-pregnancy, during their pregnancy, and of course, afterwards. Um, you know, my, something that kind of always runs through my brain, my mentor has this amazing saying um, that doulas reduce fear and instill strength. Um, and I, I like to base a lot of my work off of that because, you know, we, we're all coming from different, um, different aspects of either pregnancy or parenthood. 
Um, and not everyone's going to see eye to eye, but I think something that we can all agree on is that it's really nice to have support and it's really nice to have someone reduce your fear and instill strength in you across the board, no matter what stage you're at. Um, so my why is really about just being available to people, um, opening up that, that line of communication. Um, I think in times like this, of course, unprecedented, um, in times like this, there's people want to connect. People need that, that connection. If we can't do it face-to-face, then um, it's really nice to do it in forums like this. And so I emphatically said, yes, please. When Heather was like, what do you think about this? Um, mm-hmm. So that's my why. And Chelsea and I both found out that we are, we've spent time in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have this, this wild Ohioan connection. I spent a couple of years there where my husband was getting his doctorate. Um, and it's a very funny place to connect over. Although I do feel like there are a lot of Ohioans in. We have, we have at least one Ohioan in our audience today, I know. So, <laughs> well, I, I, lo- I love Ohio. I love Cincinnati. All of my nearest and dearest are there, but San Francisco is pretty cool. It's nice and warm here, so comparatively, of course. We got you, Katie. Katie on the uh, uh, on the uh, one of our attendees. She says Ohio represent. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Our next speaker is Lisa Hendrickson Jack. Uh, Those of you guys who are in the fertility space and or just women's health space might be aware of her work uh, with her Fertility Friday podcast. Um, She's also an author and uh, fertility awareness educator. Her book is uh, The Fifth Vital Sign, I think. Um, And I love the cover. It's just so beautiful. Uh, So Lisa, would you tell us a little bit about why you said yes today? A little bit about what you do. Um, Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And it's really nice to meet all of you here. Um, So as you mentioned, I mean, the work that I do in the fertility space is around a lot of non-hormonal birth control. I'm a certified fertility awareness educator. So a big part of what I do is raise awareness about the menstrual cycle and menstrual health. And as Chelsea was talking about fear and the role that she plays in helping women to overcome that, um, I feel like that's a lot of what I do because the way that women are not educated about our bodies and our fertility leads to a lot of fear. And out of that fear comes a lot of different choices or lack thereof, because how can you make those choices if you don't really know? So um, the reason that I said yes today is just because, I mean, we are in the midst of these unprecedented times. It's kind of hard to wrap our heads around what's, at least I would speak for myself, it's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around what's happening. And what I found in my client work, so the work that I do is virtual. So from a perspective of having to shift my practice, I don't really have to change from a practical standpoint. Um, but what I found is that in the midst of this, my clients are still concerned about the same things that they were concerned about. Obviously now they have new concerns as well, but my clients are still concerned about trying to conceive or trying to avoid pregnancy. This very real aspect of our lives is always present. Um, and so that's why I'm here because this conversation is important. Cool. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Next, we're going to go to 
Dr. Julieta Octavio. Uh, Dr. Julieta is a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I think you're off mute. You can go ahead. Hi, everybody. Uh, It's really nice to meet everybody, even if remotely. And thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, I work in San Francisco. I'm a doctor of acupuncture. Uh, I treat full spectrum. So I have a long-term relationship with most people in my patient panel. Uh, That means they may start as young women um, coming in for any kind of women's health issue, then I work with them through conception and and fertility, uh, pregnancy, postpartum, and then I see their whole family. So over the course of 20 years of practice, um, it's become a family practice. And, um, you know, I guess I would say um, I attend to the physical, emotional, and, and spiritual concerns that, that my patient's physician cannot address. Um, so I love working in partnership with, uh, with a Western provider because there's certain things that I can do that they can't and vice versa. And um, I really appreciate that partnership. Um, a lot of my work is around establishing rapport and, um, and trust needed to bring um, particularly women back into their bodies. Um, I think that we we're socialized to think that we are not the nexus of authority about our own, our own bodies, our own well-being, our own health, um, and around, even around our own conception. Um, so there's a lot of fear and mistrust of ourselves. Um, and I really, I really love working with that to help people ground in their bodies um, this period in time, um, it, it's been interesting because typically my, my, my sessions are, they have three components. There's a counseling or, or coaching component. There's a hands-on physical, com, uh, medicine component, and then there's a, a self-care component. Um, and so obviously I can't touch people, which is so, it, it's such a wonderful way to help people ground into their bodies. But I do... We do um, what I call I teach them to touch themselves, <laughs> so that's been a really um, a really important and and interesting. It, it it's even more empowering on a certain level. So there's a lot that's come out of that, um, and I think that people's fears are. I guess I would say you know, with the patient population I work with. Um, in, in my private practice, the fears are more existential. Um, it's about, you know, is the world a safe place? Am I, um, is it going to be okay for me to have a baby here or conceive or raise a child in this environment? Um, those are, those are more of the fertility issues that are coming up. Um, and then around parenting, you know, sometimes when people have kids at home, it's hard to even think about trying to make another one. it's a lot to work from home with having your your kids at home too. So that's, those are some of the things that have come up in the last month. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of issues going on (laughs) all all over the place, new challenges. Cool. Thank you. Um, And next we're going to hear from Jennifer Magnano. She is an Ayurvedic postpartum doula. She is a mental health advocate and she's also a writer. So Jennifer, would you like to tell us a little bit about why you said yes to say to this talk today? 
Absolutely. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Mm-hmm. Um, I said yes because motherhood can be just so profoundly magical. Um, and it's also a really strange space without what's going on in the world right now. For a lot of us, the transition is transformative on every level. And so a lot of my work is working with mothers that are um, maybe experiencing a second or a third birth and um, didn't have the postpartum they wanted the first time. And so um, right now in this present space that has looked like mothers again, not having the postpartum that they wanted to have, but finding comfort in lots of other things that they do have um, control over right now in this season. Um, It's been fascinating to me how some moms are really finding themselves in a space of being able to just enjoy this wide open place that we're in right now. There's no busyness um, unless they have older children at home. There's, there's not a lot of extra stuff going on. So there's no big commitments. They don't feel like they're letting family and friends down when they don't attend every, every function those first 42 days. Um, but then there's a lot of other moms that are really worried that what happens, what happens when I can't attend functions again, is it safe to bring my baby out? Um, and so hurting them adding to their emotional needs, it's a lot of emotional support right now. It's always a lot of emotional support in the postpartum space. Um, we typically do that a lot through nutrition, um, through mindfulness, through meditation, um, through Abhyanga is making sure moms are practicing self-massage regularly, touching themselves, um, and getting comfortable with that touch. Absolutely. Um, and then relationship, um, really partnering with partners so that they can see this time um, solidify their relationship. So instead of um, taking them apart, which it could easily do, and we're, we're stuck in these spaces um, with people that we loved maybe before, and now we're like, okay, it's been 40 days, it's been 42 days, do I still like this person? Um, very similar to when you're on uh, and your postpartum leave in your fourth trimester and you're you're stuck with your partner for an extended period of time sometimes when they're home. But we're also, um, the women that I work with, um, we're looking at ways of bringing this um, not only virtually to them, I'm still seeing emergent care. So women that are struggling with big problems with breastfeeding um, right now, I'll still go in, I can wear my mask, I can stay six feet away um, and um, care drop-offs too. So just figuring out this new space, um, but letting them know that they're not alone, they're supported and they can grow roots in this season and be stronger coming out of it. Mm. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Okay. Sasha. Robin. Sasha is one of my best friends and um, she happens to be pregnant. So I, and she's been writing some stuff on fertility. <laughs> so I said, you need to come to this. And uh, she's a journalist. She's uh, been a wedding publicist and she's a content strategist. Sasha, I'd love to hear a little bit about why you said yes to your crazy friend Heather's idea here. Um, hi, everyone. Um, and let me know if you can't hear me well, because I do live on a busy street. Um, so I am five months pregnant with my second kiddo. Um, and uh, Heather's has a son and I have a son who are um, about a year apart and they're BFFs. Um, so that's how we first met each other. And now I'm expecting a second one. Um, and I was thinking about this this morning. Would I have 
if we were still trying, let's say, to have a second one, would I continue that now? Given and and I don't know that I, I don't know that I know the answer to that because I could see both sides of it. It's pretty great to have sex in the afternoon with your husband. Um, on the one hand, on like a Monday or a Tuesday. On the other hand, on the other hand, all the concerns and anxiety and the financial aspects of it. I live in San Francisco. Um, you know, my husband just got a, a pay cut. So like these things I could see would have been very stressful had I needed to make the decision. Now I don't have to make a decision. The baby's already there. So um, I think I also, I'm also lucky that the baby's not due tomorrow. Um, I did run into a mom. This was probably two or three weeks ago on the beach with her two-year-old and she had a big belly. So I asked her when she's due and she said, Oh, next week. Um, and I, I just felt really bad. Um, cause, and, and I'm hoping for my selfish reasons that this was does end before my due date so that I don't need to deal with all the issues. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say is that I had my first kid in Europe, um, in, in Germany and so this whole experience of being pregnant in the U.S. has already been quite um, different for me. Like at every step is sort of different um, in some ways, better in some, worse in others. Um, and then I anticipate my postpartum experience will also be quite different, not only because there's a second kid, um, but also for the resources that aren't available here as much as they are in Germany, for instance. Um, I don't know. I'm going to find out, but, um, so it's a, so I'm learning as I go, even though it's my second time, I should, should know how everything works, but I don't. Um, so I was curious to hear from actual professionals in the field, both for, you know, me as a pregnant woman, but also me as a journalist, cause it's a, it's an interesting topic. Um, both like, morally and like how sort of people make that decision now or if they've already made the decision and the baby's already coming how, how they're dealing with it um so yeah thank you Sasha. yeah it seems that the modern woman is really good at planning things right and so when we become really good at planning things it in all the options that we have available to us. And I know I'm not speaking for every woman that's going to um, watch this video because people are being um, impacted by the pandemic very differently, right? So some women are sitting at home right now working. Um, you know, I have the luxury of being an author, so I don't have to go out and bag groceries or, you know, I'm home and which has its own issues, right. Or where I'm not able to go out and do work in the world, touching people, feeling people, being around people's energy. So everyone's being different populations are being affected differently by this. And I love the fact that Sasha brought up her experience in Germany and versus her experience here. So we'll, hopefully we'll, we'll hear a little bit more about that at some point. Um, if not today, another day, but a lot of what, even what Sasha was bringing up in the end, the actual birth experience. So there's the issue of, should I get pregnant? Can I get pregnant? How will I get pregnant? If I was trying to get pregnant one way, and that way may or may not be available to me anymore. Um, when I'm pregnant, how do I care for myself so that 
all the same stresses that were there before, whether it's work or money or, you know, any reason that any woman ever gives for getting an abortion, you can just go to those reasons. And those are the fears that we have of getting pregnant. All those same reasons, right? Now you add COVID on top of that, right? So all the same fears are there plus COVID. So I want to make sure I'm safe and I'm protected and I have the right, you know, nest in Ayurveda, we call it building the field, you know, so you're, you, it's, we have the four fertility factors in Ayurveda. So there's the seed, the egg and the sperm, and then there's the season. So the, the time of life, the time of year, the time of month, all related to the fertility and then the field, which is literally the woman's uterus in the body. And all of what's surrounding that. So the woman's body, the house she lives in, the town she lives in, the country she lives in, the big blue dot we live on, the universe, the macrocosm, everything kind of coming out from there. And as we, as mothers do this thing where we try to design and cultivate that for a new soul to come in, whether we're doing it consciously or not, you know, you've seen birds. I went to the Galapagos once and I saw birds nesting together and doing these little rituals. And so it's, there is an inherent nesting thing that happens, whether it's conscious or not. So those processes are still taking place. And then all the way to the woman who's about to give birth, how can I do this safely? Because I don't want to go to the hospital because I don't want to get COVID there, or I don't want to go to the hospital because my partner isn't allowed with me, or my doula isn't allowed with me, or no one is allowed with me, or only one person is allowed to come with me. And it's happening differently in different hospitals. So people are going to be experiencing that differently right now, depending on where you live. So there's all these things to consider. And then once the baby is born, wait, who's going to help me take care of the baby? It's just me and my partner. It's just me and my partner. I mean, I happen to give birth with no family around me, so I kind of understand. And I actually didn't hire any postpartum support, which I really regret. <laughs> um, so I kind of understand what that experience is like. And I had the luxury of having a partner who's self-employed who was able to be home with me a lot. And I know a lot of women don't have that. So um we're talking about so many different scenarios from the time a woman first gets that idea or just finds herself pregnant because it happens both ways, right? <laughs> it's not like all of a sudden, not, ever, not everybody's deciding to get pregnant. It's not always a conscious thing. But once she is pregnant, she will probably try to do her best to make sure that things turn out well for her little munchkin. So I want to hear a little bit, and, and this is kind of a free-for-all, whoever wants to speak on this, is what, in the way that you do your work with people, what is changing? And you, some of you guys talked about doing hands-on work with people, and you can't do that anymore. How is that shifting for you? Are you able to sort of turn that into more of a self-care service for people, um, and still deliver your service, but sort of teach them how to do it? Or did you have to come up with a whole new service in order to be able to deliver that? So anybody want to talk about how they're working now with people? Well, for postpartum care, we have uh, a mother circle that we do every week and we've uh, moved that online and we've actually seen it grow since we've been online because it's more accessible. 
So a lot of moms that weren't leaving their house before um, to come and bond with other women around this new life space are actually coming out um, into the virtual space, which has been really neat. Um, and then we've been doing a lot more um, vid- uh, video coaching. So walking them through the breastfeeding process, walking them through um, a sits bath, walking them through how to how to make a, a certain meal if they need to. So kind of turning this into from a, a live teaching experience to a, just a virtual teaching experience. Yeah. 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 I, I would second what Jennifer says um, in terms of the postpartum support. So I'm doing similar work um, in the sense that there's a lot of phone calls like, Hey, this is how the baby slept. This is what their naps are looking like. What time. And, and, you know, and this is, this is, all across the board. These are morning calls, evening calls, like middle of breastfeeding calls. Hey, FaceTime, can you look at this? Um, which is, is different. It's a different skill set to be able to communicate with someone on a FaceTime or Zoom or whatever, you know, whatever um, platform you're using. Um, but I would certainly agree that it's just this, um, there's this shift to virtual support, but there's also a lot of people that are kind of coming out of their shells, so to speak, um, and looking for new ways to connect. So if my postpartum work work looked like, I'll show up at your house at 10 o'clock at night, we'll have our little conversation, we'll talk about what's happened during the day and what you want to see through the night, and then they leave, and then I see them again the next morning that's very different than the, the intimate connection that you have when you're actually talking someone through um, a latch or trying to breastfeed in a different position. Um, but then from the, the labor perspective as well, um, you know, as a doula, that attunement um, or chemistry, if you will, um, is a little bit more difficult to tap into on Zoom. It's just, it's just, what it is. I mean, um, you know, and aside from all of that, then there's the logistics standpoint, like where do you put the phone when you're in labor? Does your partner hold it? Does, do you have an extension cord for your, depending on where the plug is in the hospital, um, or the birthing center or wherever you're, you're choosing to give birth? Um, there's the logistics side of it that it's, it's hard to, to plan for. Um, so that's been something that's unique for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really tangible feedback. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Of course. Anybody else want to talk about that one? Yeah, sure. Um, I, it's been interesting for, so I, I am considered an essential business, so I can see some people under certain circumstances. Um, and, but the people that I, don't want to see in person. I, I, you know, I I really quickly pivoted to zoom and and what's really cool for the fertility patients and my prenatal patients is that for years I've been telling people or encouraging or or really promoting the idea of resting (laughs) and, and, um, and not overdoing in particular with fertility patients, uh, really, you know, one of the best ways to get yourself into the energetic space of becoming pregnant is to imagine and act as if you're pregnant right now. Um, and do, and do much less, put your, put your health as a priority first. 
and this is sort of this, the silver lining of sheltering in place um, for a lot of people is that they actually get to spend a lot more time at home and they get to follow their own intuitive schedule um, of sleep and wakefulness and activity. Um, and so that's been a good thing um, that I really appreciate. And then there are, there are certain circumstances in which I... I guess the postpartums are the hardest not to see in person. Um, I really, I really want to be able to help people. There's certain physical treatments that we do to help people kind of physically knit back together um, and then manage their time. Um, that's, that's been, that's been tough. Um, but I do still in a limited way, see a few people. And, and the biggest thing that has come forward, of course, is anxiety and a feeling of deep grief at seeing the disparity um, in people's experience. Uh, there's so many people in the world that are suffering enormously. And the people that aren't, I think, feel really powerless about it. How do I, how do I make a difference going forward or, or doing, some, doing something different? Um, you know, in, in their feelings of good fortune, they also feel a lot of, a lot of uh, gained awareness, I guess. So, yeah. It's interesting, the emotional experiences that everybody's going through right now, it's the, the busyness and the lack of everybody's attention being everywhere else in physical spaces, everywhere else, and just in your home. If you're, you know, they're in that category of people who are sheltering, who are not having to go out and work very much, or even if you are working, you're probably home way more than you were before, right? Because we can't go anywhere else. So let's say collectively everybody's home just in this box. And it always reminds me of, I spent a lot of years uh, meditating and going to ashrams and things like that. And you know, my Ayurvedic background, I used to be a yoga teacher and it really reminds me of when you meditate because you're just there with whatever's there when you meditate. And now we're all there with whatever's there in our houses. So we're not only having to really deeply look at what's going on here inside of us, we're really deeply having to look at what's in this immediate space with us right now. So um, there's a lot of realizations I think a lot of people are having right now about their lives. Some of those bigger existential things being pondered, a lot of processing of things that were being probably ignored for a very long time that people could ignore through busyness and distraction that it may be difficult to do that now. And then a whole host of other problems and new emotions coming up about new things in this new challenge. Uh, Pritam, you look like you wanted to add something. Am I on mute? We, oh, we got you on mute. Let me unmute you. Yeah, go ahead. So I, when I wrote my second book, Fertile, I worked a little bit with um, Dr. Bruce Lipton about using behavioral epigenetics and applying behavioral epigenetics to pregnancy. And I did a lot of research on, I mean, at that time it didn't seem significant. Now we're talking about it here and it feels really significant to talk about, but when you're in a war zone and you're pregnant or, you know, how, how does the different, and I looked at studies of epigenetic studies of how, you know, the children came out during World War II or what was the differences, Right. And so Dr. Bruce Lipton really taught me that it's the thoughts, behaviors, emotions, and diet that program DNA. And I said, well, you know, we haven't really applied this to pregnancy in the way it really needs to be applied. And so I kind of described it in my book is like, if, if, the, if the, the mind is like a movie theater, 
And so that whatever movie where the women are playing while pregnant is creating the child inside. And so even after, even birth is an internal experience. So a lot of people have come to me, clients, and said, I'm so scared to go and give birth. And I keep reminding them as much as it's external, it's very internal. And so you can, you can redesign the way you're looking at it. It's always an internal response to what's really going on on the outside. And so that's why if you're pregnant and you're listening and you don't have a meditation practice, I always love to, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it, Kundalini works really quickly. You know, listening to the mantras are really powerful. It's something you can go to quickly while pregnant that will help to overcome the amount of stress that's happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Just some thoughts about it. I mean, it's hard to yeah. think about, but it's women have that power and we're such powerful creatures. We have the ability. We're so strong, so strong. We could be super yeah. neurotic, but we can also be incredibly intuitive and we're so protective over the children that it's almost like I can see all the pregnant women being like, I know something's wrong out there. I need to get it together inside so that I can protect this baby and this next coming in generation. And it can be a very powerful time to create children. Yeah. And Lisa, I love the, you know, your, the work that you do is very detailed in um, raising awareness about the menstrual cycle um, and I know that you said that your work in large part hasn't changed because you've been doing a lot of that virtual work with people. Um, but has there been anything that has changed for the, the people that you're working with? Well, I mean, given the, the situation at large, I feel that it's similar to what you've been talking about. Whereas a lot of, I mean, I think I can't say everybody, but a pretty big percentage of the population is dealing with those existential issues the uncertainty, um, not having access to certain services. Um, I'm, I haven't seen a lot of discussion about it, but here in Canada, all of the alternative care providers, including naturopaths, acupuncturists, everybody basically that isn't a doctor, um, has been deemed non-essential. And so for anybody who was seeking support outside of you know, the traditional medical system, that hasn't been available to them. Um, to some degree. And so, um, and also depending on where you live, as was mentioned already as well, for women who are seeking support with fertility challenges, depending on where you live, some of those services aren't available. And um, a client of mine was mentioning her concerns about trying to conceive because um, she may not be able to access certain services. So she may not be able to get even just her routine ultrasounds if they're not deemed essential to the degree that she would have beforehand. So I feel like some of the, the issues that we've been talking about are the ones that are really present um, within my sphere. But I feel like it's this overall um, concerns about, you know, of course, concerns about the, the actual virus, but more so concerns about the restrictions and leading into concerns about, you know, where is this leading to, um, a recent controversial post of mine that got some you know attention from both sides was the question of bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, are our rights changing? So in Canada, we um, we don't have mandatory vaccinations, for example, and that's something that could be changing or could not be changing. So I feel like there's just a lot of uncertainty leading to a lot of fear for a kind of a wide-reaching variety of topics from birth to fertility to trying to conceive to 
just in general bodily autonomy. So mm-hmm. it's just a really rough time in many ways, but it's also a time that can provide a lot of opportunities for self-reflection and um, I think so, yeah. Yeah. And actually there was a CNN article that came out that I had sent to a couple of you guys. I wanted to hear your reaction. It was like, don't have a baby right now till the pandemic's over. And I was like, oh my God, this is just really fear-based. And I get it because there there's this additional inconvenience, risk, so many things. It's like, it's almost like so many more obstacles were just put in front of us to have babies, you know, or maybe well, to not have babies as well, just in general, everybody's got all these additional obstacles put in front of us. And, you know, that actually sometimes motivates people to do it more. (laughs) And sometimes when people get an obstacle, some people are motivated by that. So it it should be really interesting. Um, There was a, there was, a couple of things alluded to in the CNN article about, you know, historically when there have been large natural disasters, what has happened to the birth rates. I think, um, you know, some of you guys brought that up earlier. The, you know, one of the pieces of data comparison was, okay, if you've got a, a really strong storm that has caused people to move from their home, say like Hurricane Katrina, the birth rates went down. But if you have mild storms where people have to hunker down together and be in the same space, the birth rates actually went up. So it really depends on the nature of the disaster that sort of um, drove people to, drove the, the fertility situation to have different outcomes. So maybe that sort of points back to each woman's unique situation and continuing to cultivate that inner, the the field that you can control within the larger field of things that you cannot control with awareness, right? So I found that to be kind of interesting when you can see that the fertility rates are so adjustable. And yeah, like Pratam said about war-torn, warring countries, if you look at Yemen or Syria, some of these countries, they have the highest birth rates in the world and our birth rates were in the US, in Canada, our birth rates, as we've gotten sort of more comfortable in society, our birth rates have tanked. So what is it about this sort of survival tension that, you know, maybe it's the spiritual element, a little bit of that. What is it about the survival tension that that can cause more life to be born on the planet? So, I think the answer is none of us know here and I, you know, we can all speculate, but I have a question. Do you predict a baby boom or a baby bust nine months from now? Can I pop in? Yeah. Um, I, I predict both. I think first time parents, I mean, they're home alone, just the two of them, their stress is, potentially much more minimal than those of us that have multiple children screaming around the house all day long. Um, by the time we go to bed, there's going to be no babies being made. Um, but the first time parents, I think that we might see a boom, um, because people are seeking connectivity, but like I said, those that have been connected all day, maybe not. But the other piece of data that I found related to the storms was that the people who had 
a child already that they were more likely to have one in the in the mild storm Hmm. (laughs) can I pop in for yeah yeah something that you said when you mentioned the CNN article and you said that it was telling women not to have babies I I immediately had this reaction like (laughs) um you know obviously like why are you telling women what to do I feel like it's such a personal thing and I I would say that you know, I haven't spoken to a thousand women who were thinking of getting pregnant, so it's not scientific, but um, I think that like anything else, it's a personal decision. And what I've found in my work over the years is, and what I think all of us know as women is that we live in a culture that doesn't encourage us to have babies when we're 17, obviously. And there's a lot of things that we tend to want to have in place and plan and organize before we choose to make that happen. And so there are so many women who were at that point where they had been planning and they had been strategizing and they had been waiting for that time and that opportunity and were about to start trying. So I feel that there's some extent of it would be the women who were going to do it anyways may just continue to do it. But it's just such a personal choice that I can't imagine someone coming out and saying, you should or you shouldn't have babies right now because it's really up to the individual woman. Yeah. Anybody else got a prediction on baby boom or baby bust? None of us are gamblers. (laughs) I certainly think it's a vote for optimism, um, you know, and, uh, and, if you have options, if you have healthcare, uh, if you have some security, then it's definitely a fierce move and uh, more power to it if that's what you want. Mm-hmm. I'm going to predict a baby boom, but not nine months from now, more like 11, 12 months from now, whenever or like whenever we're released from house arrest. Yeah. Essentially, there'll be so much like joy. We're all going to like, want to have parties and go to restaurants or whatever, you know, depending on how, right, how they're going to roll it out. But let's say like, it's all over. It's all behind us. It is just like a very mild version of world war two, where you get this, you know, serotonin, you just want to celebrate and do all the, all the celebratory things and have lots of food and lots of sex and lots of play outdoors, whatever, you know? So that's, that's my call. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, we have a question. Uh, Okay, so we have a question. What advice would you give to women who are in touch with the desire to have a baby and they're nervous or worried about doing it at this time? Or people telling them not to? So they're worried or nervous about it or people are telling them not to. Are there any practices that you would recommend to help women strengthen their own tuition and relationship with their bodies rather than getting confused by the external voices. Okay. I have a a couple meditations she can do. So there's one called the Sat Kriya. If she Googles it, S-A-T-K-R-I-Y-A, and it's really good to become pregnant and get strong. And then there's another one she could do called the Kirtan Kriya, Mm K-I-R-T-A-N Kriya. And those are really good for pregnancy and balancing the menstrual cycle from a meditation point of view. And then with intuition, it's always sort of the, like, it's always the first nine to 11 seconds of thought. 
Um, it's, and so then all the external voices will come in or the subconscious of what, whether the fear, but if you're going into a really, really quiet sp- space and within those first answers that come up are usually that true, you know, higher self speaking, and then the rest of it can be something else. But if she hears in the first nine to 11 seconds, what's right for her, those are her own words. Usually if anyone mm-hmm. agrees with that, but yeah. Yeah. And that's really interesting because, uh, a lot of the work we do in Ayurveda and Jennifer's an Ayurvedic postpartum doula. So she's probably pretty familiar um, with this Ayurvedic system, but in, in Ayurvedic medicine, which is the medicine that came from India um, that one of their major traditional medicine systems, it's customary to go through a cleansing period before you conceive your child. And so if you're, Um, clearing out your system, your partner system, and curating the space around you so that you can um, enhance the conditions for conception so that you can create the best conditions to do that. So, and this is a really uh, opportune time for women to do that, maybe to co-partner with their partners on that or do it by themselves I just keep putting myself in the position, you know, part of like when Pratam and I had talked, I just keep thinking if I I know what it's like once you decide you want to have a baby, because I was later, I was almost 40 when I had my son. And it was like, once you get that idea in your head, you just can't let go of it. And you will, you will drive yourself nuts and everybody else nuts around you. It's like this goal that you have to achieve And that's how desire works, right? But that's the mind's desire. That's not the body's desire. The body's desire is like, I want to have sex. And that's what actually creates the baby. So it's kind of tricky. So when your mind kind of gets like the idea that it's running the show, which obviously it's not, (laughs) but when your mind starts to believe that it is running the show, the way that we've always dealt with it in Ayurvedic, um, practices is through cleansing and preparation. Um, so one of the big things that I've always done with people is fasting, um, programs before they become pregnant, which is very useful, especially for women that have, um, a lot of metabolic issues associated with fertility these days. Uh, anybody else want to jump in on this one about, um, things that women can do that would help them strengthen their own tuition, the relationship with their bodies, rather than getting confused by everything around them. Yeah, um, I would turn off your phone, shut off Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> the New York Day, like every, just stop looking at the media right now and um, organize some kind of because I think what you talked about, about the mental aspect of wanting a baby and the physical aspect of wanting a baby, finding a way to integrate those two and getting them um, working together, a lot of it is quieting the external chatter by literally turning the knobs off um, and then going inside, going into breath work, going into, I mean, I work with people around, around counted breathing, around uh, massaging the belly. Um, even things as silly as, as just dancing around the house naked, you know, <laughs> like, um, just, just to get in touch with that sense of joy. Um, I can say on a personal note that I felt a very deep drive to have a baby, um, right around nine 11. And I actually conceived, 
the month after 9-11. So I conceived in, in mid-October. Um, and it was this, it, it was all this fear and just inundated by all of this trauma and fear and grief. And at the same time saying, you know what, this being, being a portal for the next people of this place is something bigger. It's something bigger than me. It's something bigger than you. And when you feel that calling and it's such a personal thing, um, even when you don't choose it, it arrives in your, in your uterus, (laughs) you know, that it, and you decide to take it on. Um, that that's a pretty powerful thing. Um, and I think staying in touch with that level, that vibration, um, and if you can't find it in yourself, you know, really thinking who in your life fills that vibrational void for you or hold, picks you up when you're down, um, calling those people and bringing those people in as your guides is super important. Yeah, that's great. Anyone want to add to that? Jennifer? So I struggled with secondary infertility with my daughter. Um, and definitely the meditation, um, clearing, clearing space physically too. Um, like what is over overly cluttered in your life? I, I think that when we, and we have just such a, a great opening right now to we most of us have extra, extra time on our hands and the ability to kind of go through our, our environment and see what isn't resonating with me anymore. What can I, I move aside um, whether that was extra work you were taking on or extra activities that you're not going to do after. And there's just, there's so much that you can do to cleanse this space, to prepare yourself for your highest purpose. And if you feel like your highest purpose is to become a mother for the first time or a second time or a fifth time, um, there's nothing that's going to stop you when, when you're in that space. Yeah. And it's interesting the way that this question was worded even like, how do you, what are the practices to tune the outside out? Because so much of what we each struggle with as individuals is how do you know what you really want? How do you know what is something that's just some conditioned thing in your mind versus the thing that you really want? And I don't think anyone has the magic pill answer for this. And it's such a unique thing that each person has to find for themselves but it's it's really difficult isn't it sometimes even you know a food that you crave do I want that food because I really want it or do I want that food because I'm used to it or do I want that food because I saw a commercial for it or do I want that food because my mom gave it to me when I was a kid and it makes me feel a certain emotion with it, or I don't want it because my mom gave it to me when I was a kid and it makes me feel a certain emotion. So that, that piece of trying to find your own inner voice in a sea of all the other voices is so tricky. I mean, obviously there's meditation there's, I'm a writer. So I personally find, I learned maybe more about myself writing than I do meditating though. I meditated every day for 30 minutes for six years. So I got a lot out of that. Um, but writing for me has always, um, made me see the, my thoughts more somehow like Dr. Julieta talked about dancing. So it's really getting in touch with 
the body, the mind, everything. And what we didn't really talk about enough today, which, you know, if we really started to peel away what we're all experiencing, I suspect probably at least half of us here would end up bawling our eyes out because <laughs> it's some scary shit that we're all dealing with right now. We've all had our lives disrupted um, to a tremendous degree. So it's that emotional component and really getting tapped into that. So how do you do that? How do you get tapped into your emotional component? You're, we can see our thoughts through meditation. We get body awareness through meditation. We get body awareness through yoga, through Qigong, through dancing through all different kinds of things or, or, you know, different kinds of um, yogas that are out there, but it's this emotional component, which is the bridge between all the worlds that allows us to see how things are flowing. And it's really about getting tapped more into that. And next time we talk, at least one of us needs to cry. Okay. (laughs) I always view it as a success when we get at least somebody to cry, but none of us did today, darn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can okay. I share a thought that I had? Yeah, please. It's not long. Yeah. Um, I think it was because I was still thinking about the question from Katie about how to kind of tune into your own intuition without being confused by all the voices. And I love what Dr. Julietta said. Couldn't have said it better. But I just had this thought of, when you're in that space and you're not sure if you can trust your own intuition or you're, you're feeling confused, you know, I like love to do these just well exercises and it's pretty straightforward. You know, what would you do if, you know, there was none of this global chaos? What would you do if there were no restrictions, if there were no financial limitations, if there were all of the fears that you had, if they just, if you could just take a moment and imagine if they just didn't exist um, I feel like when you think in that term, you can then listen to your heart uh, and decide what you truly want. So at least if you can get yourself to that space and identify what you truly want, then you can make some decisions about what you're actually going to do. But in terms of actually tuning into what you want, I feel like that's the place you have to get to first. Yeah. So if you were going to give one piece of advice for a woman sitting there right now saying, gosh, should I have a baby? What would you, what advice to make that journey the best journey for her? What would be the advice that you would give her? Let's go in the order that we started with, Pritam. So I would say that humanity is going through a heart opening. And as you go through the heart opening, your heart will expand and you'll feel that expansiveness. And then you're going to go to your mind and all the fears are going to come up. And then you're going to go back into your heart and then all the wounds from your past will come up. You know, mom, dad, all these different things. And this is going to happen, I think, for everybody. And there's going to be that fear love pull. If it was me and I wanted a baby, I always do it. I always say yes, like 100%. I'm a 100% yes person because I go with my heart. I'm learning how to be a bit more rational, but I feel like as you're going through this, remember that your heart is opening and allow the wounds to come up and go to all the resources, all your, you know, good things you've learned all those years for your own awakening process and use them and reach out, but follow your heart. That's my advice. (laughs) 
Um, Chelsea, I think we got you on mute. Hold on. There I am, I think. Yeah. So um, I would say, of course, you know, we talk about this being such a personal decision. Um, and there's so many factors that play into this. Um, so I think instead of answering, you know, what, what do I do? Should I have a baby? Is now the right time? I think letting this, these people know that regardless of what they choose, there are going to be people there to support them. Um, you know, this is, this is scary. It's unprecedented. It's unprecedented for experts in the field. Um, so nobody really knows what this is going to look like in a month, six months, nine months from now. Um, but I think knowing that people are willing and able to support someone through their fertility journey or their pregnancy journey or postpartum journey, um, is, I, I hope that that can, that can bring some calm and some peace, um, to people that are considering this or are, are um, in the middle of their pregnancies. Um, you know, things might not look exactly the way you anticipated them to look um, when you started this journey, um, but there are so many people um, here in, in this space on this call, there are so many people here that are willing to support um, and help guide you with information, emotional support, um, and physical support if this lets up anytime soon. Thank you. What about you, Lisa? What kind of advice would you go with here for a woman in that position? I would just say that, I mean, no one gets to make that decision but you. So regardless of what the media is saying or friends and family, um, the people who love you are trying to help you, but ultimately it's your decision. So I would just say, don't make a decision based on what other people are telling you to do. Turn inward, listen to your heart. And deep down, we all know what it is that we want to do. It's amazing. Thank you. Dr. Julieta. Remember, I'm mute myself. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I think we often, I hope that people get to choose, but, but with the, the funny thing about birth and, and conception is that it's not always on our time frame or on our schedule or when we think or we should or need to have a baby. Um, I hope though, whatever, however, um, conception occurs or, or what guides us towards that choice is, is ultimately everything must be driven from a sense of love and respect and support. So whether you, if you are pregnant, really go towards anything that brings you love, respect, support. And, um, and if you're thinking about getting pregnant, you know, and, and I, I, I definitely, uh, agree with Pratam. I I'm definitely a yes person. So I, I, I would rather, I would rather say yes to life in whatever form and whatever passion or creativity, um, than, than to make a decision from fear. Um, but that's my, my personal bias. So yeah, I would, that's it. Jennifer. Um, to piggyback off of what both, both uh, Dr. Julietta and Chelsea said, um, just coming from a space of love, rooting down to rise up. Um, I, 
taught yoga for a long time. I don't teach it as often anymore being in that postpartum space. Um, but really growing those roots. And if that means you're in the fertility journey right now, growing, growing connectivity, connection, love, support in your, your inner circle, whoever you're, you're residing with right now, and then slowly expanding that circle and the same for every space. If you're pregnant right now, really tuning into the connections that you need for long-term growth and development for both you and this little person you're bringing into the world. And it continues through postpartum. Sasha, what about you? Well, as, as the token pregnant woman here, um, two things. Uh, I have so many unknowns in my life right now. I have to apparently move. There's financial stuff. There's all kinds of things. But as I was talking to my husband about it, this baby is like the one constant. This baby is coming no matter what the world is doing. And... And having that constant has actually been super grounding and helpful because it's, it's just there. It's, it's, you know, there's no changing it. Um, so that's one thing I want to say. And the second thing I want to say is that I don't know any women who regretted having a child. I do know a lot of women who regretted not having a child and who, for whom it's now too late. So you know, whatever one chooses, there's that. Yeah, I guess those are just so amazing to hear everything you guys are saying. And, um, you know, I think when you boil it down um, to, for me, the advice is to get to know your own heartbeat. Mm. Um, and I think you can find that in the quiet space alone you can find that in literally feeling your own pulse um there's quite a magic in that those you know dr julietta is uh, i know they do pulse reading and chinese medicine we do it a lot in ayurvedic medicine as well um and get to know your own pulse feel your pulse you know on your radial artery um and it, i found that of all the things that i learned in getting a master's degree in Ayurvedic medicine, just feeling my own pulse made me learn so much. And that was one of the most direct connections I got to my intuition, mm. that constant. So like Sasha was talking about the baby being the constant for her before the baby's there, you have your own constant and it's your own heartbeat. So however you feel it here in the center of your chest, or you feel it here when you put your hands in Anjali Mudra. However you feel your pulse, I think that's the deepest way to connect with that. And I think all the answers will come. And I hope that through this uh, exercise that we did here today, that maybe our heart, heartbeats are a little bit more connected up too. Because I heard that when people at least sing together, their heartbeats sync up. So... Thank you guys for showing up today and really appreciate. I also would love to share, um, let's see, I'd love to share your contact info for people who want to connect with you. Okay, so hopefully everybody can see my screen right now. We've got um, everybody's websites up here. Pratam, Sasha, Lisa, Jennifer, Dr. Julieta, 
and uh, Chelsea and myself. And so uh, if you can visit, if you want to get in touch with me or any of these other women here, feel free to visit their websites. Feel free to visit my website. And um, again, just putting a plug in for my book that's coming out next week. <laughs> yeah, super exciting. So um, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And I know we have a couple other authors here today as well. So I um, think the benefit of being an author is that you can still do your work um, in the pandemic, right? So hopefully we can continue to touch women in this way and uh, bring some new, healthy, enlightened babies onto the planet. <laughs>